0: sometimes my timing isn't very good, maybe more than sometimes. Of all Sundays, I should be preaching on the sacrificial system and the fragrant aroma that leaves the burning flesh. Why? Because we have barbecue after the service. So I know I there's a lot of competition with a lot of different things today. Competition might be uh, the smell of Parker's barbecue out in the Area over there. So they're prepping the food through those doors. Mike Grimes will give you instruction afterward. It's our fall picnic that we do every year, and so food inside to bring it outside just in case it rains. So that's the plan for afterward. Looking forward to it. I'm not going to preach on the sacrificial system, but you get the idea. Um, and with that said, I should I should pray before we get down to business. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for special occasions and special events, even like our. Excuse me. Even like our fall picnic, where we're able to um, talk to each other and find encouragement and share a meal together—that's uh, unique. We're thankful for these things. Most of all, we're thankful for redemption in Christ. Encourage us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I imagine most everyone here, depending on if you're old enough, but most everyone has heard some version of or said some version of. You need to get your priorities straight. If you've never heard that or never said that, you probably will. I don't think I've heard it very many times. I don't think I've said it very many times. Some version of, you'd better get your priorities straight. But I can hear Lee Henry Abendroth (laughs) at least once saying that to yours truly. It's an important statement. It's important. It's said in a version of it is said in business. It's said in the home. It's said in all different kinds of contexts. It's said in terms of uh, schools. It's said in locker rooms. You'd better get your priorities straight. It's a positive statement, but it's usually said in not a very positive context, right? Because something's not right. You're not focusing on the main thing, the most important things you're not succeeding in. And so with all of these shiny objects that distract us, squirrel, (laughs) right? With all of these things that distract us, some of them, many of them actually being good things, enjoyable things. It's important in different aspects of life that we make sure we prioritize the main thing. Or we're failing. Well, this won't be a business seminar. This won't be a motivational speech about your life and parenting and business and uh, sports and things like that, even though Nebraska might need such a thing. (laughs) Couldn't resist. I am an alum. But the same is actually true for the life of the church. Since the first century, since the book of Acts, the church has struggled with being distracted. The church has struggled with what sometimes people lately have called mission drift. So this is what the church is supposed to be. It's important. It's significant. God has called no other entity. He's called no other people to do this main thing. Other people do all kinds of good things, but this main thing we've been called to do, it is our mission. Church... Don't lose sight of it. Make sure you have your priorities straight, lest you try to do what other people do fairly well, if not better than you do. What is it that we've been called to do? Well, I imagine some of you would know. Some of you would name really good things. Um, Some of you wouldn't know. And I'm not blaming you. This is not a guilt trip seminar. I'll take lots of that blame if you don't know what the mission of the church is. It's one of the reasons we're talking about it today. Fall family picnic. Uh, we're talking about it for other reasons as well, but you know, we're going to kick off a new ministry year. What is the mission of Omaha Bible Church? What's priority number one? What is priority number one for any and every church that has ever existed? Amidst many things churches are called to do and be, what's priority number one? Single-minded, single-focused, I would suggest to you that first and foremost, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is called to proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ. We call it the gospel. Priority number one. It's why the Apostle Paul said, I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. First Corinthians, which is interesting because he talked about a lot of other things, a lot of other important things. The priority number one mission of the church is the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And going right alongside of it would be also complementing that would be protecting. So proclaiming, but also protecting, because if we don't protect, we have nothing left to proclaim. So we won't be in this book today, but Philippians chapter 1 is a great one for this whole matter. Philippians 1, 27 and following, even the way the language is used there in the original text, it's single-focused. Uh, he uses the word uh, for only, priority number one. Manon is the Greek word. You don't need to know that, but it sticks out in my mind. This is this is priority number one. It's beyond all of the other things. And, and then he uses the great imagery of striving together. As a local congregation. Striving together. The the athletic metaphor. Striving together. He also uses the negative military metaphor. Standing firm. Right? We're not going to budge. We're not going to give an inch to the enemy. So it's the defending and the promoting. The promoting and the protecting. Standing firm for the faith of the gospel. And so what's our mission? What are we about first and foremost? It is promoting and protecting the gospel. And it's why so many times I want to not assume that we even know what that is. So many times at Omaha Bible Church, we're going to say gospel, but we're going to say that means good news. It means good news about Jesus. And it means the good news about Jesus coming to earth, becoming a real human being like us, because he's going to do something for us, living a perfect life of obedience to God's requirements, his law, fulfilling all righteousness, the Bible says. Jesus did all the right things all of the time on behalf of everyone who would ever believe in him. Then Jesus, also vital to the gospel, goes to the cross, dies a sinner's death, though he never sinned, died in place of everyone who would ever believe throughout all of human history. So he makes atonement, pays for sins on the cross. That wasn't a good experience, but it's good news to us because we need our sins forgiven. And then what happens? We know the story. He's raised from the dead victoriously, proving that he did what he said he was going to do, proving that he was, in fact, perfectly obedient and righteous. The wages of sin is death. He couldn't stay dead because he not only never sinned, he always did the right thing. And then, not only that, we learned about this last week a little bit, he ascended. He ascended to his throne, victorious. And he's there interceding, as a priest does on behalf of his people. This is the good news. The good news about what Jesus has done. And we're supposed to respond how? By trusting in him. By placing our faith in him. So that what he did is given to us freely, though it didn't come to him freely, right? The gospel, this is what we we promote, we proclaim. And how about this too? Let's remember Omaha Bible Church on a good strategic Sunday. We preach the gospel to whom? We preach the gospel to unbelievers, don't we? we? We proclaim the good news. I love to be able to talk to my unbelieving friends, probably not in a sport coat, probably not from a pulpit, Though I would do that happily, but in other settings, telling them the good news about what Jesus has done. I love it. But we not only proclaim the gospel to unbelievers, Romans 1. Think of the bookend of the book of Romans. We preach the gospel also to whom? To believers. Romans chapter 16 talks about preaching the gospel for the spiritual benefit and spiritual maturity of Christians. And so we're busy preaching the gospel all of the time to, to all different kinds of people. I remember one time we had a special event, and I preached the gospel very much to unbelievers. And there was a visitor who it was a friend, and he said, I saw what, I, I'm paraphrasing, I saw what you were doing there. I said, what do you mean? You knew there were some unbelievers here, so you preached the gospel. <laughs> I thought, you're half right? Right? I was preaching that gospel to you, Mr. And Mrs. Believer, right? Because we don't trust in Jesus and then stop trusting in him. Our spiritual growth is actually tied to the gospel as well. It's why Romans is not a letter written to unbelievers. But it's all about the gospel. So the gospel is very simple in one sense, but it's also profound and super deep with all of the implications and ramifications and things like security and perseverance and struggling with sin and all of these great things. We have to remember our priority is promoting and protecting the gospel. It also includes even knowing what it is. That's so why I'm so fond of suggesting to you and encouraging you, ask, ask people who you know who are Christians what the gospel is. And when they say, love, love your neighbor, you can say, well, that's a good idea. It's good. That's called the law, but that's not the gospel. And so on and so forth. So why are we talking about this today? Well, it's a good time, ministry years kicking off and all of these things. But in addition, here's the special occasion. We're not going to be in Exodus today. No, no fragrant aroma offerings of brisket and so forth. That's later um, for the barbecue. We're talking about it today also because we're going to recognize three new deacons at Omaha Bible Church. And so we recognized a new elder recently. Today we're going to recognize three new deacons at the end of the service. And deacons are vital to the church to help us to not lose sight of our priority number one, which is gospel ministry. We're going to see it in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, you can find the book of Acts. Then we'll look at 1 Timothy. But in the book of Acts, the very reason the church has deacons, the word deacon means servant. And we'll talk more about what what that means and what it looks like. Everybody in the church is supposed to serve and use their giftedness somehow. So we're all called to serve. And yet we have these people who hold a special office of servant, of deacon. So we're going to recognize them. Uh, So we'll put those pieces together as we go. But a crisis occurs... In the book of Acts, early church, all kinds of moving parts, all kinds of good things that are actually vital and important things, but it was going to take the church away from focusing on the main thing that it's been called to do. Okay, so in the book of Acts, we are going to see. Let's go ahead and jump in in verse 1. So, it says in Acts 6-1, Now in these days... They were exciting days. I love preaching through the book of Acts because there's all kinds of things happening, all kinds of action, all kinds of extraordinary, special things happening. Churches born uniquely in this age. Now in these days when the disciples, another word for Christians, followers, learners, were increasing in number. So it's not talking about the increase of the 12. Believers, there's new people are hearing the gospel and all kinds of people are hearing the gospel and all kinds of people are believing the gospel. Isn't this great? The church is on mission. The church is on point doing what she is called to do, proclaiming the gospel. So increasing in number that assumes that many people are repenting. Many people are trusting in Jesus, men and women and boys and girls. And then notice what it says. Ready for it? A complaint. Isn't it just like Christianity, right? <laughs> I'm guilty of complaining. I know. You're guilty of, guilty of complaining, I know, but isn't it, isn't it just like the the worst when you're not complaining and you're on board and then in walks that person. You're just like, oh my goodness. You've got to be kidding me. I have an interesting story, but I'm using self control to not tell the story about this very matter. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So believers have needs. Is it good to help widows? This means yes. Uh, Is it good to help other Christians with their needs? Absolutely. Especially ones that have special, unique needs. Absolutely. So please don't make me say things I'm not saying. It's important that the needs be met. So we can have lots of things that are important in the life of this church. Even some things that are unique to the 21st century in middle America. Legitimate, true, good, biblically defensible things that we ought not neglect. But there is the ultimate thing. And if we don't prioritize the ultimate thing, we're going to be a club pretty soon who does good things. And we're not going to be a church because we're not doing the main thing. So the ultimate is gospel promotion and protection. But there are other legitimate, important things that we need to do. That's what's happening here. Uh, If you want to use the fancy terminology, people talk about the ultimate and the penultimate. Um, I like it because it stresses the importance. really is ultimate, but it's not the ultimate ultimate. It's the penultimate. Helping people, loving people, caring for people. Verse 2 says, And the 12, that would be the apostles, summoned the full member of the disciples, so all believers, a disciple is a believer. We learned that early in the book of Acts. And said, is it not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables? And I would take it in context of the whole Bible and the book of Acts. The word, yes, it could be word in general, but typically, it's used the gospel word. So should we stop promoting the gospel to unbelievers and believers to do something else good? And the implied inquiry is, actually, we shouldn't. And so you might think they're they're unkind and not generous and not loving and not compassionate. But we have to also remember it would be unkind, unloving, and not compassionate To stop prioritizing gospel promotion and protection so that we have a gospel. So both things are true at the same time, just in different ways. And there's a solution to this. There's a, there's a reasonable, good solution. So what do we do? How about verse three? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, this responsibility, this calling, this mission. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, that's reasonable. That makes a lot of sense. How about verse 5? And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God, synonymous with gospel ministry and its effects, right? The word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And that's not going to happen if it's just generic preaching of the word in general. That's gospel word. Multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And the great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is... Great to see. Complaint. How about legitimate complaint? So what do we do? Well, let's come up with a legitimate, reasonable solution to the real problem so we can do both things and stay on track and not have mission drift and before you know it, the church is dead. So it's just, it's a great historic narrative. It's great to see. I suppose, hypothetically, thankfully, it doesn't record anything about this. Everybody's on board. Hypothetically, there could have been those people who would say, oh, grumble, complain, because this isn't how I wanted it done. But it doesn't record that. I'm thankful for that. It's not an unsolvable riddle. Something practical, something reasonable, let's not ignore physical needs, let's not ignore those at all, let's do both things. Now before we move on to the next passage, um, let's acknowledge Acts 6 isn't exactly what we have later in the New New Testament. So we have apostles here, Uh, one of the qualifications for an apostle based upon what Paul says uh, elsewhere, Uh, you have to see the risen Christ, you had to be an eyewitness of Jesus raised from the dead in history. So I don't think we have any apostles today. So, but what we are going to see is we have elders, pastors, overseers, all used for the same people, and we have deacons who come alongside of them to support their gospel-prioritized ministry and who come alongside the whole church and lead in service so that the church can keep focusing on gospel-prioritized ministry. So we, that's why lots of people would say, I'm in great company. This is, this is like a prototype, So there's still a lot of dust in the air, there's still a lot of moving parts, but this ends up being the prototype for what will be settled in church history when we get to First Timothy. And now we have local congregations with officers settled, and so it becomes the example, it becomes the model, it becomes the prototype. So it'll look a little bit different. Now first Timothy, if you would find first Timothy, we'll see Paul the apostle writing to Timothy, who's a pastor in a local church in the city of Ephesus. Some of you are salty saints, right? You're mature. You've been, I mean that in a good way. You've been around the block. You've been a Christian for a long time. So you know all of these things, but There are always new people, always people getting converted, always people who are new to biblical Christianity. So let me at least stop and say, when you look at the New Testament, you end up seeing um, that there are two primary offices in the church. um, These official, formal kinds of positions, certain qualifications. You have elders in the word, and that's also in First Timothy. But elders are also sometimes called pastors. And they're also sometimes called overseers, or if you're a King James reader, they're called bishops. But they're talking about the same people. It's used interchangeably. I'm not going to get into all the passages now, but you find them used interchangeably for the same people. There's not a hierarchy. So a pastor is an overseer, is an elder, is a bishop. Please call me bishop. I kind of like the sound of it. (laughs) Right? Don't call me an elder or we'll sound like Mormons. I mean, so a lot of the titles have been misused and so we just say pastor, which is fine. Um, but a pastor is an elder, is an overseer, is a bishop. They're used for the same people. Um, because they're stressing different things sometimes. An elder is somebody who is supposed to have wisdom because they are not young. They're older. Even Timothy's a young pastor and he's supposed to not act immature. He's supposed to act older even though he's younger. Fascinating. Um, pastor means shepherd. And so when there's care and concern and Jesus talks about feeding his sheep, oh, pastors teach the Bible to feed sheep. That makes sense. And protect them from wolves. That makes sense. Um, overseer is overseeing in in a leadership kind of capacity. Uh, so, so there, there's that. Let me back up. Actually, the ultimate office holder, according to first Peter, is called the chief shepherd, the chief pastor. Guess who he might be, right? There's only one chief shepherd, uh, and, and his name is Jesus. So he's the ultimate good shepherd. And so we do have him recognized in first Peter as the chief shepherd. So then sometimes when we're trying to, to nuance this and do it, you know, do an org chart or something, you've got the chief shepherd at the top and he's the ultimate. He's the sovereign, but under him preaching his words that feed and protect, you have under shepherds, right? You, you, you have what we call pastors. But then supporting them, the other office would be deacons, servants. And so we're going to have qualifications for elders, overseers, bishops. We've talked about that recently. Now we're going to talk about the qualifications for deacons, and they're very much the same. But one focuses on teaching and preaching, and the other one doesn't. And if we allow Acts 6 to complement, it looks like they're taking care of things so that those who are preaching and teaching the gospel and doing the gospel-prioritized ministry can support so that we don't lose our focus on our mission. It's pretty straightforward. So hopefully that helps you. Oh, let's put somebody else in in here in this whole mix since we're on the topic. In Ephesians 4, it says that the saints are to do the work of service. Sometimes translated, the saints, all Christians, are to do the work of ministry. So, how do we put all this together? Every Christian is supposed to serve. Every Christian is supposed to minister in some way or another so that we can do gospel ministry, so that we can promote the gospel. And we might do things that complement it or free it up. But everybody's supposed to serve somewhere. If you come to a membership class, we're going to say w- we want you to serve somewhere. It might be cleaning. It might mean shoveling snow. It might mean coffee. It might mean nursing homes. It might mean all uh, music. It might mean working with children. I mean, it goes on and on and on because it's supporting gospel ministry, if you will. Everybody's supposed to serve. Elders are supposed to give oversight. What's with deacons then? We have special servants. And the rest of us are supposed to serve. You end up having to logically conclude their examples and leaders in service. So we're going to go, we're going to look at the qualifications and it won't say that, but I've got two things I've got to grapple with. Everybody's supposed to serve Ephesians four and we have official servants. We have deacons who have to meet certain qualifications. Well, they're the ones I look to to help me to know how to serve. They're the ones I look to, to to help organize service where it needs to be done. They're the ones who lead in service. And so it's not that complicated. I'm not trying to give you anything new that I figured out. But again, some of you are new to this whole thing. I just want to help you along. Uh, when we have deacons presented today and we have three new deacons, uh, they're not super Christians. They might think so. No, they don't. <laughs> they're not uber Christians. They're not perfect, but they meet these qualifications. They're tested and shown to be worthy of our following. If I want to serve, I want to say, I want to emulate their service. Or I want to go to them and say, you're a leader in service. How can I help is how this works. Okay, let's, let's move on to the qualifications. I hope that's helpful to you. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons likewise. So like the overseers, the qualifications that came before, like the elders, like the pastors, deacons likewise. Servants likewise must be dignified. So an umbrella term, general statement about character, similar to overseers, and it's going to be elaborated now. So the general catch-all is they need to be dignified people. Not double-tongued. So you, you can take them at their word. They're sincere. Not addicted to much wine. And the translation doesn't mean you can be addicted to other things. It doesn't mean uh, that at all. They're, they're not a drunk. They're responsible. Um, they do the things that they need to be able to do. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Why would that be important? Well, if they're greedy for dishonest gain in their business practices, we don't want them to be leading in the, in the church. If they're, if they're failures there, why would we want them helping us here? Because the church and church ministry is a place where people seek dishonest gain and it ought not be that way. Verse nine, they must hold, I like this part a lot. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Oftentimes, the New Testament uses mystery for something not, ooh, you know, mysterious. Oh, dry ice, smoke machines. <laughs> it's not the idea. It's a mystery because it has to be revealed specially by God. The gospel is counterintuitive to sinners people don't figure out the gospel by looking at the stars. People don't figure out the gospel by looking at their lives. It has to be revealed by God that, you know what? There's nothing you could ever possibly do to earn my favor. You must trust in my perfect, unique son, the Lord Jesus. Believe on him and you'll be saved. That, that that comes from special revelation, not general revelation. It's a mystery made known. But isn't it cool that he says that, not only the mystery of the faith which is another great designation that I love when I love when the Bible says it that way it's the faith as in the christian faith as in the objective truth about objective history about a real objective person not in your heart fantasy the faith it's great and To be an officer in the church, elder or deacon, but here we're talking about a deacon, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They're all in. They're not trying to sort things out. They're not busy deconstructing. They're not busy trying to, you know, figure out this, that, or the other thing. They... Might not have perfect theology. They might not have perfect behavior. But you know what? They're tested and tried in their behavior. And when it comes to the reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Crawl over broken glass. Black coffee. (laughs) Sorry for those of you who prefer cream. You get the idea, right? Our... Leaders, our officers, because some, some of you are, are new, some of you are learning, you're trying to sort things out, and, and you're, you're still, and I don't mean this in a negative way, you're, you're, you're still young in the faith. Those who are our leaders, sincere conscience, not, you know, pinky, not, not, not fingers crossed behind their back. They're, they're gospel people. And they're all in gospel people. Verse 10, and let them also be tested first. So there's examination, there's time, there's provenness, demonstrated character. It's amazing what time and testing does for people. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And remember, let's be good Bible students. Let's always interpret the Bible with the Bible, especially according to context. Um, if there's no one who does good, no, not one, it doesn't mean blameless in the ultimate sense. How about according to context? They meet these qualifications legitimately, earnestly, truly. The apostle Paul, who calls himself as a Christian, chief of sinners, wouldn't be saying they have to be sinlessly perfect to be deacons. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any deacons. It's reasonable. How about then it says, in, according to verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers. So they too have their Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, tongue controlled in their speech. We learn a lot about people the way, by the way they talk, but sober-minded. So they're, they're, they're serious-minded people. Faithful in all things. They're, they're trustworthy people. So their life partner is someone who is evidencing the fruit of the Spirit, tested, tried, similar when it comes to the Christian faith. Then it says in verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. So committed to his wife. Others have pointed out as, well, we, can, we can leave it at that, managing their children and their own households well similar to overseers. It gives evidence. So how can we figure out if a deacon can lead others in the church, deacons and the rest of us? Well, if there's an utter failure in the home, we probably shouldn't expect that they're very good leading in the household of God. Straightforward. Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. I like that. That's why I like deacons. You gain a good standing for yourself and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Servants are important to come alongside of us and our pastors so that we don't lose sight of the ultimate mission. They help us with this. Now hopefully you're not offended by me calling you all servants. You shouldn't be offended. It's important the Lord Jesus Christ came Mark 10:45 not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so humility is virtuous. So what we're all called to serve, we're all called to be Christ-like. We're all called to to want to serve other people and it's not all about us. And so we're all called to be servants. Um but now we have official servants modeling for us how we can better serve in the name of Christ for the gospel of Christ. I do find it interesting. Sometimes I've at different times I've seen some of you, like in a restaurant or a coffee shop, and you've been in a meeting with, with a colleague or something or a friend, and oh, I want to introduce you. This is this is Pat, he's my minister. And I always translate that in my mind. This is Pat, he's my servant. <laughs> Happy to help. (laughs) Joking aside, it's actually a good thing, right? Because we're called to serve one another in the name of Christ. But how do we do it? Let's acknowledge mature, maturing, godly, seasoned saints and recruit them, acknowledge them to help us to not lose our focus but to help the rest of us be serving so that we don't lose our focus in doing gospel, promoting, and protecting. Make sense? I think it's pretty straightforward. It's an important matter. Um, I'm thankful for such things. Now, sometimes it's hard, though. Let me say this as, as a pastor. Uh, it, it's hard sometimes because you think, you know what? I got a deacon to help me, JV squad. That's just sinful to think that way. That's just sinful to think that way. I hope you would know that I, as a pastor, care about you if you're a member of this church. But I can't do everything. And if I did, my home life would be a wreck. And I would probably be in an institution somewhere. And it wouldn't be good. So I can't be the super pastor. Uh, I'm not a good surrogate Christ. He's the chief shepherd. And he and he alone is omnipresent and all-knowing and will never let you down. Okay, And I don't mean that as an excuse. I hope. So we have in the New Testament, elders, plural, in different cities and congregations. So that's helpful. But not only that, we have two offices. We have elders who are supposed to focus on preaching and teaching, promoting and protecting. That has to do with people, don't get me wrong. But we also have the office of official servant deacon to come alongside so that we don't lose sight of the very thing we're called to do by God, lest we stop being a church someday and we just become some other kind of club or institution. It's helpful to kind of think in those terms. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray and then invite the three new deacons to come up front. I'll name them. And when you hear your name, if you'd come up front and then, so you know who they are, then I'll ask the elders to come up and then Dave Guthrie is going to pray uh, for them. We'll lay hands on them, symbolizing affirmation praying that the Holy Spirit would work in their lives and be great examples to the rest of us. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing around the world. We're grateful for the fact that there are believers, men and women, and boys and girls uh, throughout the entire globe who proclaim the gospel, protect the gospel. Please encourage them and strengthen them. Lord, help us to make wise decisions and to make good choices. Help us to remember that no one is perfect other than the Lord Jesus Christ but that we do want to take his perfect blueprint for life and ministry seriously. So give us grace, um, give us tenacity, give us perseverance, give us the power of the Spirit so that we might make a difference in Omaha and in other places. May we walk before you humbly, not with arrogance or pride. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.